All right. I am now joined once again by Stefan Bertrand Lee, uh, who is um, uh, was the guest uh, last week, and we uh, we talked a little bit about uh, about Ukraine, and uh, it's not impossible that the conversation could go back there by the end of today. But uh, right now. I wanted to uh, to get uh, get a little bit of relevant backstory here. So, uh, uh, Stefan um, is the subject of a piece that uh, came out recently in uh, I think it's just called Insider now. It used to be Business Insider. Um, that's uh, you know about you know in which uh, they're commenting on um, on you know, Western volunteers, uh, going to, to fight in Ukraine and, and, uh, and their perspective on it is, uh, is obviously informed by, uh, you know, by, by Stefan's own experience in Syria. So I thought that might be good to, to kind of start with today. I mean, when, so, so when, uh, when did you, when did you go to Syria? When, what, what's the timeline here? I just wanted to mention it was very funny that when you you posted the episode last week, the first kind of slander comment was like accusing me of being an anti-interventionist. Yes, <laughs> which is very much not true. So yeah, in in 2017, I travelled to Iraq because you can't just fly to the Kurdish region of, of Syria, and then through a complicated legal process that I uh, won't detail and, and don't detail. I, I ended up in in Rojava in northeast Syria, um, training at what the Yepige, um the 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 Kurdish force. And I'm a bit. Of, I'm I'm always at the thing of like I'm not sure what kind of level of of information to assume that people have. Yeah, I wouldn't assume much, right? Yeah, I wasn't going to, <laughs> but um, I guess maybe I don't know. Should do, should we do like a very quick brief? What what is the Syrian civil war before we do my own personal history? Uh, yeah, maybe just a little bit of uh, you know, maybe just a little bit of that, like the you know, both the the war in general and then the the YPG part in particular. Yeah, so as as part of the Arab Spring, um, in 2012, large scale protests broke out in Syria, which quickly evolved into a civil war. But this wasn't kind of like a, I mean, I think there's very few civil wars that are unambiguously two-sided, but this one from the very start was at least three-sided um, because as the government came under more pressure, they withdrew most of their military forces from the northeast of Syria, which is predominantly a Kurdish area, um, and handed over kind of their emplacements and, and some amount of weaponry to a Kurdish political party called the PYD and its its armed wing, the the YPG, which were from a lineage of of, of Kurdish revolutionary parties that used to be Marxist-Leninist, and then since the early two thousands have adopted some kind of um, own kind of libertarian left uh, synthesis that they have going on. Um, so in 2012 and or the beginning of 2013, they made some kind of deal. We the kind of the the details of it are, are kind of hidden. The history um, with the government, where kind of they would not engage in open uh, war with the government as the Syrian opposition did, 
but they also wouldn't be collaborating with the government against the opposition. Rather, just the government would leave these areas in the northeast. And at the end of the war, at the end of whatever was going to happen, they would sort out some new kind of arrangement. So initially, these these in that's in a clear way, it was a, it was a third side in the civil war, and not one that could be identified with each other with either of the sides because. Um, they didn't start out at, at war in kind of armed conflict with these other sides. So eventually, as kind of the Syrian opposition became more and more dominated by, um, I was going to say far-right Islamists, I guess that's, you can say that, um, like kind of hardline, hardcore Islamists who were in a big conflict with the Epigays, uh, left-wing kind of socialist politics, uh, feminist politics, uh, they ended up starting to fight these extremist Islamist groups. And then eventually when ISIS emerged, they obviously ended up in a, in a, in a conflict with ISIS, um, which was when eventually kind of when ISIS drove into Iraq and, you know, were banging on the gates of Baghdad and seemed like they couldn't be stopped. They were stopped by this Kurdish militia in the city of Kobani. And that's when they became uh, globally kind of famous in the Battle of Kobani, uh, where eventually, in order to fight ISIS, they received uh, American airstrikes. And then since then have been kind of um, collaborating in one degree or another with American forces in their kind of joint campaign against ISIS. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's maybe worth pausing for a second to, to say something about the oddness of that, right? Because... Um, you know, obviously, in this case, the you know U.S. Um, and uh, NYPG were brought together by you know a shared desire to defeat ISIS. But I mean, I I I think it's you know I mean this is a this is a pretty you know whatever exactly label you want to put on it. I mean, this is a very like far left you know egalitarian kind of social experiment. Yeah, and it should be clear that the Yepige was never. Obviously, they, they changed some things, changed kind of what they were doing to some degree to, in collaboration with the U.S. But the U.S. hawks always wanted them to go on the offensive against the Syrian government. And this is something that they've they've never done. Um, this is something that was kind of one of the solutions that was kind of offered in 2018 by some hawks in the Trump administration as to what could happen instead of Turkey um, joining uh, like doing an offensive against the YPG, the YPG could just join with the people who had, uh, you know, they, they'd fought and been slaughtered by in Afrin and other parts of the country. Um, so obviously, while there was collaboration, there's always also been kind of conflict and, and different kind of desires uh, going on. Right. Okay, well, let's... Uh... Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I so there's there's probably more to be said about this, but let's let's just get into your personal involvement in this. So, this uh, this is 2017. You said you started. Yeah. So, kind of as a kind of international socialist organization who wanted to kind of uh, escape the kind of narrow barriers of being seen as kind of like a Kurdish force to something that could be a revolutionary force in Syria and in the broader Middle East. So obviously Kurdistan is not, it's not just there's some kind of nations which are occupied by other countries, like one country, but Kurdistan is, is occupied by four countries, um, or however you want to talk about it, it's spread across four countries. And so they are, 
the Kurdish national kind of the Kurdish freedom movement always had a, a different view, it had to have a more complicated view on nationhood because they couldn't just break out in one country and then you know have Kurdistan. Um, it would have to be four at once, and obviously you think four at once is is going to be completely impossible. And even if you win in one place, the kind of leaders of the other countries are going to then attack you, which is obviously what's happened with Turkey. So the EPG tried to, and PYD tried to broaden themselves out to say that we're not kind of a, a narrow um, Kurdish movement, but we're kind of uh, a socialist revolution, which a feminist revolution, which should inspire people all, all across the world. And an important part of that for them was to invite um, revolutionary fighters from all across the world who could get there to to go there. And I was one of the people who answered that call. Yeah. So, so what? What kind of? Um... So, so like you get there, uh, and you know, you said you're one of the people who answered answered that call. I mean, like, uh, were there what? Like, I mean, who were the other people? I mean, like, what were the kind of you know, what was the kind of mix of people that they ended up with as far as uh, for you know, international volunteers? Yeah, so we were, we were split generally about fifty fifty at the time, where it was, um, basically the epic had the concept of either. You know, people will already have military education and we can teach them, we can give them political education or they'll have political education already and then we can give them a military education. Uh, this didn't really turn out uh, how they wanted. And while some kind of people that were came for the military side then did become kind of committed to the revolutionary project, this is not the case for kind of um, most people. And re in more recent years, it's nearly always um, it's they just take revolutionaries basically, but it was it was funny yeah it was a group a very interesting group we had obviously I won't give too many biographical details, um, but for instance there was one guy I was with uh, Farah who did um, he did a thing on Vice about this so I can talk about it, uh, but he was like a Bernie bro, and as a kid he'd grown up like wanting to be a marine, uh -huh. but he became an admiral and found out the Marines sucked. And like, you know, the US military is bad. Uh -huh. uh, and so he saw the, or oh, listened. I can't remember if it was the Chapo Chaphouse episode with Brace on, or if it was the original Rolling Stone article. And he was like, oh, cool, I can be a soldier for some people who don't suck. Um, and so, yeah, he went there, even though he was kind of like not a revolutionary, rather he was kind of like a, a, a social democrat or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, so in the, so you show up and, uh, you know, I mean, I, I kind of know how this ends for you in terms of what they end up having you doing, but the, uh, uh, but presumably you show up and they slot you into the category of somebody who has political education, but needs military training. Yeah. So they, they do kind of like a, a, you get like you, you give your information they input it into some kind of system at the start where they just directly ask you this kind of thing it was interesting like they also asked you like the political ideology of your parents um which is i don't think something that a western group right. would be like they wouldn't consider asking that right uh, but obviously um in countries like turkey with like a real revolutionary movement it's very relevant to know if someone's parents are also part of the revolutionary movement 
or if they're not interested or they're part of kind of the, the counter-revolutionary and, and fascist nationalist movements. Um, so yeah, they, they, they just ask basically. Um, and yeah, I was kind of tagged immediately as one of them. And luckily for me, I was kind of um, instantly uh, trusted by my commanders in this way. And I would get, um, like a few weeks in, they asked me to speak at an international academic conference via video link. Um, so yeah, they put a lot of trust in me, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they, they did, I, I mean, this is, this kind of sounds like a punchline, but I mean, like they, they sort of, they also decided that you, uh, you know, you wouldn't be best utilized, uh, in, um, you know, in a, in a, in a combat role. I mean, like, like you, you had, to, you, you did. I mean, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's obviously, well, that's not really true in the sense of, I think if I'd asked, they would have let me, yeah, but, yeah. uh, I was perfectly good at, at shooting. I think I was actually one, one of the best, including people who were, had trained marksmen. But I just wasn't very good at operations training. Um, like, as in, you know, like actual, like, ambush, counter-ambush and this kind of stuff. Um, so once I'd finished, kind of... Oh, and also, like, uh, we had a problem with our education because in the middle of our education, the point next to ours was blown up by the Turkish Air Force. Yeah. So our education was unlike everyone else's, had like a massive three-week truncation in the middle. Uh, but yeah, at the conclusion of that, I asked, because they ask you what kind of platoon or, or group you want to go to, and I asked to go to a Turkish communist unit, because I knew that the communist units continued to have, they had their own military training programs within their own structures. Yeah. You know, they wouldn't want to, they wouldn't want their guys to be trained by Yetuge, they wanted to train them themselves. So I asked to go to this Turkish communist unit to continue my military education. Okay. And then? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I was just kind of, uh, you know, they, they trained me for, for four months. And that was also the time where I got a laptop and started making memes. But that was something which never quite, never came to full fruition. Uh, there was lots of kind of ideas of, of, putting the memes into Turkish and putting them into the Turkish internet and doing all this kind of stuff, but it never really came to fruition. And then during that time at the end, I was asked if I wanted to go to, to Raqqa, to the capital of the Islamic State, to be part of the military operation there. And I said, yeah, sure. Um, so I, I was taken to like our headquarters outside of the city of the International Freedom Battalion. Um, and I was told one day, like, yeah, you're going to go on operation and hold a point in a city. And I was like, okay, you know, saying that you're going to do that in a couple of days. But then I, I fell um, pretty much immediately after that ill with, with typhoid. And okay. that was the end of any kind of military operation for me. Gotcha. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, this is, um, you know, I think... Uh, <laughs> I mean, just just the idea that the uh, that um, I mean, it's it's just uh, that you know, I mean, you, you sort of imagine like the you know the the beginning of uh, uh, homage to Catalonia, and then you know, then Orwell <laughs> Orwell starts making dank memes, you know, for uh, for the the Spanish, the Spanish Republic, uh, but uh, uh, but. It probably but 
Yeah, no, I mean, he probably actually would have been an excellent person to ask if that had been a, uh, if that had been the offing, uh, for, uh, for them at that time. Um, so, so, okay. So, so how, how long were you, did you kind of end up being there in, in total? Uh, it was eight months in the end. The normal term in terms of service is six, but I did eight in the end. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so, I mean, this is something, I mean, so that, that insider piece that I mentioned earlier, uh, you, uh, you know, you kind of pointed me to after the last time, uh, we, uh, we talked, uh, you know, you, you sort of, um, on the one hand, sort of like almost had advice for, for people who might be volunteering to, uh, uh, go, uh, go fight in, in, in Ukraine and in a, in a certain strange sort of way, but like also, of course you made it clear that, you know, you wouldn't personally, you know, you wouldn't right? I mean, like, like, like for, for political reasons, uh, you know, so, um, you know, you, and, you know, I, I think this is, um, you know, this is something we, we got, well, I'm not, I'm just trying to think how to, uh, you know, how to, how to frame this a little bit. Right. But like the, you know, like the, the point, um, you know, which, which I think is maybe, you know, an important distinction a little bit. Right. So you, what you say in that article is both like on the one hand, uh, you know, you sort of have this like kind of hard headed, uh, practical advice for people who are considering doing things like this, you know, that, that if they, aren't, you know, a thousand percent, uh, you know, into it, they, they, uh, you know, they, they shouldn't do it. Right. I mean, if you aren't like incredibly committed to, to doing it, you probably won't be able to go through with it. But also, I mean, I, I think that the, you know, the point you're making about why you actually wouldn't in this case, the sort of distinction that you would make is probably important also in terms of, um, you know, some of what you were saying about like why you were interested in, in, um, uh, in volunteering, you know, for the, the YPG and, um, and like the kind of distinction that you're trying to make there, which, which is that it's not like, I think Westerners very often look at these conflicts in sort of terms of like, you have some, you know, incredibly evil force or evil dictator or whatever, and then the then the other end of that is just kind of a uh, blank, right? I mean, like it's it's like, you know, yeah. it, it's you know, it's like, um, you know, Vladimir Putin is bad, and then so the the sort of sides are like Putin and other, right? You know, and uh, and yeah, others. And, and, yeah. and for me, like people find it strange, but I really wasn't concerned with ISIS at all, really. Um, I barely have any kind of personal animus at all towards ISIS. I mean, mostly because they lost. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> no, there's no reason to hate a loser. But yeah, for me, it wasn't about ISIS at all. Um, and yeah, and I think definitely the reasons that people are going to Ukraine, I hadn't really thought about it this time, but you're definitely right that people are going to Ukraine 99% for the sake of Russia in like a negative way. And right. With the ones who are going, which aren't, you know, second generation Ukrainians or whatever are going knowing well also they don't know anything about Russia but they definitely don't know anything about Ukraine really yeah right so uh, I mean and, and this is I, I think actually it's a pretty important point because like you know this is kind of what I was getting at with you know 
like some of what I was getting at with that article about, you know, Ukraine inspector of Hitchens that, you know, I mean, I think the sort of like in some ways the big mistake underlying, you know, late Hitchensism is, is just sort of, um, thinking in these terms, right? There's the, there's the bad thing and then there's whatever's opposed to it, which is good because the bad thing is bad. Uh, that, you know, Saddam Hussein is bad. So removing Saddam Hussein is good, you know, that, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's especially interesting in Hitchens case because, you know, you say he like, um, he, he went around in his last days wearing a Kurdistan pin, right? Right. Obviously the kind of the movement that he supported was not PKK. He supported kind of the, the Kurdish regional government and, and, and KDP. And there's kind of this split between in, in the Kurdish kind of movement or whatever, between the Kurdish national movement and the Kurdish freedom movement. Uh, mm-hmm. And the Kurdish national movement is on one hand, um, kind of like a, a, a narrow attempt for like a, a nation state, but was also not kind of a narrow attempt at a nation state, like led by some kind of like national bourgeoisie or whatever, but rather because of the state of development in Iraq, and especially in Iraqi Kurdistan before 1991 and before 2003, is led just directly by kind of their, their top feudal aristocrats. Who are now who've now become kind of oil barons in a relatively similar similar way to, to something which has happened in, in the Gulf countries. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're right. Kind of Hitchens was kind of concerned with Kurdistan, and you yeah. think that maybe with the kind of history he had, he could be someone that was like, you know, like a different Hitchens could have been like, you know, fuck Kedipe, I'm with PKK, but I'm pretty sure that's not. I don't think yeah. he. I don't know. You know more about him, but. Yeah, no, that, that is an interesting point though, right? I mean, he does have an article in the nation, like in, um, it's probably like 2000 or something. I don't remember exactly. Uh, but it's like in the last years of him writing for the nation before the post 9-11 split, um, where he, uh, he interviews, uh, you know, where, where he like interviews a PKK leader and, and talks about it. And he, he seems a little ambivalent about them. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think he, I think he thinks there's, I mean, ironically, maybe a little bit, right. I mean, given the sort of way that people, um, perceive, you know, the, uh, the politics now, right. And, and maybe accurately perceive it now, you know, I mean, you know, like you do more about it than I do, but like this sort of like, you know, anarchist influenced feminist, you know, relatively non-hierarchical kind of, kind of way. Like, I think that the, what comes through in that Hitchens column is like, there's too much residual Stalinism here. I don't like it. You know, although, although he's, he's still, you know, like I said, he's ambivalent, right? I mean, he's, he's a, um, he says, I I think kind of the the PKK didn't get any kind of warm reception in Europe until, uh, in the Kurdish freedom movement until kind of Rajavra and so on, even among quite, because like, like Jean, um, our friend Jean Bajlan, he wasn't a fan yeah. of, of PKK, but he became, uh, he got back into kind of the, the Kurdish freedom movement through the Rajab revolution and his kind of admiration for, for the YPG. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, obviously kind of they've taken Niklam's aspiration to one degree or another from Murray Bukhachin, which I think is generally mm-hmm. exaggerated by Americans uh, mm-hmm. and American who are inclined to him, but there's definitely some influence there. But Murray Bukhachin, <laughs> 
Rory Buchan dismissed um, Ochlan as just like another wannabe starter. Right. Uh, which is, which again is, is kind of the critical part of the, uh, the, the Hitchens call. I mean, again, he doesn't, uh, uh, you know, like, like, you know, he's, he's a little ambivalent, you know, he, he's, he's sort of, you know, he's also like pretty contemptuous of people who just kind of dismiss them as terrorists. But, um, but yeah, that's, so that, that is really, so that is really interesting. I mean, just, just to wrap up the earlier thought, I mean, I think that the, uh, I think the idea that, you know, I mean, like one of the things I say at the end of the Hitchens book is that I actually think that, you know, I mean, like some people want to sort of blame, you know, uh, anybody who was once in some sense a Trotskyist who becomes a neocon. <laughs> they, uh, they, they, they want to blame the first part for the last part. And, you know, and I actually think that uh, one of the last things I say in the book is that uh, actually in some ways late Hitchens problem is that he wasn't nearly Trotskyist enough, you know, meaning that, uh, right. you, know, you know, meaning that like I, you know, he kind of lost sight of that, like, crucial insight that you don't have to choose between, like, being a Brezhnev apologist and a Reagan apologist, right? You know, in the, uh, in the Cold War, the same same thing could apply for, you know, you, you don't have to, you know, you, you have to, uh, you don't have to choose between rooting for Saddam Hussein and Dick Cheney. But, um, but I think, um, so the, you know, the point about actually going over there to fight for something uh, is, is really interesting and and important, right? I mean, that this is about sort of solidarity with the, you know, what they were trying to, uh, to, to build, uh, there. Uh, but I'm also very curious about something you, you sort of, that came up kind of in passing your story, which is that part of this, uh, part of your, this time you had there, part of the training, whatever was, was with the, uh, this sort of units from the, the Turkish communist party, because I think, uh, I don't, I, I would, I know hardly anything about the Turkish Communist Party. Uh, I, you know, well, know, it's, it's not the it's not the Turkish Turkish Communist Party. It's a Turkish Communist Party. Okay, it's a Turkish Communist Party. So that's that's maybe a useful distinction. Uh, so, um, so I mean, if if it's not to, uh, you know, we don't need to go too far into sectarian arcana. But I mean, like, what's the, uh, uh, you know, but like. Like what's uh, what is this particular Turkish Communist Party and and how and what's its relationship to like what we would think of as like regular capital C communism? Um, so basically, kind of after the kind of the most recent phase of um, war in 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 North Kurdistan and Turkey, the PKK managed to and the Kurdish Freedom Movement managed to successfully align kind of nearly all of the fighting communist parties in in Turkey with it, which is kind of ironic. Like, while they were Marxist-Leninists, they were never able to get all these these parties together on side. Um, But once they stopped being Marxist-Leninists, they managed to successfully do that. Um, The Turkish Communist Party, TKP, TKP, are, to be clear, they're not part of this. And they're they're an electoral party, not a, a fighting party. Um, but barring one, the very strange Das Kapitä, uh, the PKK and the Kurdish Freedom Movement managed to align all the Turkish communist, like insurgent or fighting parties, whatever you want to call them. Um, and they, as well as supporting uh, the PKK in northern Iraq, also came to support the YPG in, in Rojava in Syria. Um, and the party I was with was um, the DKP, who are quite interesting in the sense uh, the, the the translation of their name is the Party of Revolutionary Communards, 
and so they're kind of um, it's a, uh, such a thing like Orthodox Leninists. Uh huh. And so they they kind of communard as in after 1871. Uh, Paris Commune, yeah. Yeah, and um, kind of Lenin without uh, Stalin. But also, I mean, <laughs> soon after I left, they split. Clearly, I was the one keeping them together. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, kind of, I don't know. They're not kind of, I don't have a, a grand tale to tell about them. But yeah, they were kind of an interesting party, especially in the sense it was good for me because they were from, for instance, Tico, um, which is a Maoist Turkish and Kurdish Communist Party, they drew, they draw themselves still mainly from kind of the peasantry and less educated people. But the DKP are a more kind of urbane party. Um, and so I was with people who, lots of them were Turkish or Kurdish kind of middle class from big cities. And that was good for me because these kind of genuinely the, the kind of views and interests and stuff of kind of Syrian and uh, uh, peasants and, and Kurdish peasants and stuff is really quite far away from my world. But there is kind of like existing now, like a globalized, like kind of middle class. And so the people I was with, with these Turkish communists were people who, who'd grown up doing very similar things to me. Like um, they would download Game of Thrones when a new episode would, would come out. <laughs> They would download it onto, they would torrent it and then download it onto a thumb drive at base Ugh. and then then drive it to Raqqa so they could plug it into the TV and watch it in between <laughs> and operation. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so uh, so just, just uh, I mean, that's a wonderful detail, but I mean, just sticking with the, uh, the, the politics of it for a second. Uh, so, so that is interesting, right? So like people who, who might... I always wonder, right? So, like, uh, you know, if if people who are, uh, you know, think of themselves, like, you know, think of themselves as as Leninists, uh, uh, you know, which, uh, you know, which I don't, but I mean, that's not the point. Uh, you know, have uh, actually actually read, right? You know, Lenin's book, uh, State and Revolution, because uh, it's it's really, I mean, you know, you kind of said it's like Lenin is without Stalin, but I mean, it's, it's like, that's, that book is like a really awkward fit with the Soviet state, like even in the form that existed, like, you know, a couple yeah, of years I mean, after. Stalin revolution is kind of one of the most mainline orthodox, orthodox Marxist books you can get, because literally a third of it is him just quoting Marx directly in big paragraphs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, and it's it's very like like Lenin's line. I mean, it's been a long time since I read it, but I mean, Lenin's line in State and Revolution um, is that uh, you know after the revolution, which I mean, famously the book was never you know is like slightly. I mean, it was published at the time, but I mean, it's it's slightly incomplete, right? I mean, there's other stuff that he ha- that he planned to write, yeah, but he ends up being a bit busy. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, the State and Revolution <laughs> was interrupted by. An actual revolution, right? You know that uh, that he had yeah, spent yeah. his time on. Uh, but in the uh, in the part that he wrote, right? I mean, he he's the line that he basically takes is after the revolution. What we'll have is this uh, semi-state, right? You know that like we won't even have like a you know a, a normal state as you would imagine it with a you know standing army and police force and permanent bureaucracy and all this stuff. You know we'll we'll have this uh, this semi-state modeled on the Paris Commune. Um, 
which again is is obviously um, is obviously very very different from uh, what the Soviet state would very quickly become. You know, under the pressure of civil war and all that. Uh, you know, even even in Lenin's lifetime. Uh, but uh, but that that is that is interesting, right? Though that like they'd be emphasizing the the uh, the, the Paris Commune uh, connection. Because that does sound again. I mean, I I don't know. Um, you know, probably most of what I know, even about the uh, the YPG, is sort of filtered through you know Westerners who you think are maybe overstating the uh, the the, uh, yeah, yeah. the uh the Murray Bookchin stuff, right? You know, but like, uh, but uh, but that would be you know that would at least make it a little bit clearer how this sort of Marxist Leninist group you know, might be more ideologically aligned than would make sense on the, on the, uh, on the surface with these sort of. Um... Well, I mean, I guess, I think that's the kind of amazing thing of what um, PKK and the Kurdish Freedom Movement did is obviously the DKP is like this, but DKP is quite small. The largest um, kind of Marxist-Leninist party in Turkey, in, in Rojava, um, and both in terms of its electoral success where they have like a, a, a split party, um, like Socialist Party of the Oppressed or something like this. Um, and in terms of fighters, uh, Melikate, they are hard, hard, hardcore Stalinists, like proper, completely, well, not uh, not completely unreformed sure. because they have a very progressive gender line. They have a re- revolutionary gender <laughs> line, really. Um, but are proper, proper Stalinists. And then there's Tico, who are proper, proper Maoist. Um, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they, but but despite that, right? They're they're still, uh, you know, they they still sort of, um, you know, side with, uh, you know, with with people in this relatively less authoritarian uh, kind of. Uh, I mean, it, all, of... it ultimately it derives from, I think, kind of the the least optimistic line of these parties if they're still supporting the Rajab revolution is that it's part of the Kurdish national liberation struggle, um, which is obviously on kind of the the Leninist and, and Stalinist line, um, right. something communist parties are meant to support. Yeah, oh, fair enough. Uh, okay, well, look, I want to uh, wrap up the next five or ten minutes. Uh, if anybody wants to call in and ask uh, Stefan a question, uh, this, would be, uh, this would be an excellent time to uh, to do that. Uh, but, um, I, you I know, I do you, want... um, yeah. Well, if, you, if you're going to ask a Syria question, go on, because I was going to ask something unrelated. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was going to, well, okay. Let me ask my, let me ask a, a sort of quick kind of wrapping up the Syria discussion question, and then you can do the unrelated thing. So, uh, so, so just kind of wrapping up the serious stuff. I mean, I, I think this is, um, one, um, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, I think some of the history that you're talking about here is certainly not in the kind of uh, level of detail we've been talking about it. But I mean, some of this stuff, I, I'm sure, is familiar to uh, to a, a decent number of people who have, um, you know, who, who are, you know, listening or more so will listen later. Uh, but uh, but I but I because like it, it kind of you know, relates to things that were happening in Syria back when anybody in, in the United States was paying attention to Syria, right? Uh, and, um, 
And since, you know, I'm in part of the, I mean, you know, I mean, you mentioned earlier thinking it was funny that somebody on Twitter called you an anti-interventionist when you were (laughs) traveling to the other side of the world to participate in the military conflict. But, uh, you know, but I mean, one, uh, you know, one like peril of interventionism of any kind, right, is, is that the, um, is is just kind of the gnat like attention span of of, uh, of of distant populations, right? You know, so yeah. uh, the so uh, so what's the like? I'm I'm trying to think of a less ridiculous way to ask this question than this, and I can't think of the one, so I'm just going to ask it like this, right? I mean, like um, you know, without asking you to sort of cover everything that's happened in the last, you know. Five, you know, five years. I mean, like just, just, just in a very, uh, in a very general sense, right? I mean, like, what's kind of the state of the Kurdish freedom movement in um, in Syria since anybody in the West, even on the Western left, kind of stopped paying attention? Well, basically, after we defeated ISIS, um, the YPG wasn't entirely hung out to dry. Um, we, we, you know, we did deliberately slow roll, slow roll, I think, taking the last little bit, um, just for the sake of knowing what would happen when we did. But since then, there's been two um, NATO, in terms of represented by Turkey, um, anti-Yepigay operations. The first in Afrin in 2018, which was kind of like a territorial disconnected part of uh, the, the of the area that YPG controlled, and was as it was very unfortunate when it happened. One of the few places in Syria which basically had saw no armed cl- conflict up to then. That it was occupied by uh, the Turkish military, well, predominantly by kind of Turkish-backed jihadists, and then kind of with air uh, air support, tank support, um, and this kind of stuff. Um, it was still. It was still kind of impressive. It, it took Turkey about 60 days to take uh, this very small area. Um, but that was taken, and that was taken because that wasn't, that didn't really blow up that much internationally because this area was one of the areas that was under kind of Russian protection rather than America. Mm-hmm. And so Russia kind of, um, you know, said, see you later. And so Afrin was lost. And then in 2018, as kind of when the epic popped up on the news in, in the West and in the United States again was when Trump did this very strange and botched withdrawal of, of Syria, um, which and then in the end he, he, he didn't withdraw from Syria. Basically, <laughs> the, the deep state stopped him. But first, like, it was kind of ridiculous that the, uh, basically, because there isn't like a consistent, this is one of the worst things about being allied to the US state is that the US state, like, changes its mind a lot and the u.s deep state tries to stop them but um it's still kind of minds get shifted and obviously the the u.s deep state is also something which is deeply conflicted and has uh different forces pulling in different directions but first kind of they got the epa to demolish all their border fortifications with turkey and then like a few weeks later let turkey invade um but again due to dogged resistance by the friends in kind of the few weeks that Turkey had to attack the area before kind of international pressure got too much to for them to proceed, they only managed to capture a, a few small areas, um, though unfortunately included Serikani, which was the, the town I lived by. Uh, it's the place I went to hospital. It's a place I went for various things. And it's now 
occupied by um, a real brutal bunch of cunts who are destroying the place like they destroyed Afrin. In Afrin, like the, the Turkish Bat Jihadists there, well, there's either the real jihadists who just kind of like genocide the local Yazidis and this kind of stuff. Then there's the casual jihadists who like, they stay, they like steal railway lines to like sell the scrap or they steal like electrical wiring to, to sell the scrap. Um, so these lovely people have been uh, forced onto various areas in, in northeast Syria by NATO forces. Um, and now at the moment, it's been four years since that last operation, but now at the moment, Erdogan is trying to use the crisis in Ukraine and Finland and Sweden's application to NATO um, to try and force through a, a, a third operation against the YPG. Okay. Um, all right. Fair enough. So, uh, so yeah, I, I just didn't want to leave. You know, I didn't want to leave things in 2018. Uh, so, uh, so, so I think that's, but that's good. That's useful. So, uh, so let's 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 do the uh, let's let's do the diversion. What's the uh, what's the unrelated thing you were going to ask? I just wanted to talk. I wanted to ask you um, if you wanted to do something. Um, I don't know on on this show or on sublation or whatever about. Uh, philosophy education and specifically online philosophy education. Um, oh, sure. Because uh, I was I was voted well not voted I I don't know I got <laughs> outstanding user of the year on Reddit Ask Philosophy last year. Well, this January, <laughs> <laughs> my proudest achievement. Uh, yes. Better than the movie or whatever other bollocks. Um, right. And obviously, it's it's something that you do a lot. And you kind of you're obviously a person who's defending the value of debate, but I think it'd just be interesting to talk about because I think on Reddit as philosophy, I probably run into a lot of the same things you do or you have on because obviously there's all these people who come to us and they've been like horribly misinformed by uh, yeah. John Pearson um, and by you know what's this one book about postmodernism which is like uh oh yeah this the, like Stephen Hicks thing that's what you're talking about yeah Stephen Hicks especially um, yeah there's lots of come like this oh yeah I just thought it'd be interesting to talk about that kind of stuff yeah no uh, that that sounds that sounds fun to me I I am um uh I have um you know the the number of the number of minutes of my life that I've spent on Reddit is very limited, so uh, I will. Uh, um, yeah, no, but it's just it wasn't. It wouldn't be to talk about Reddit. I, mean, yeah, I guess yeah. you can ask, ask me stuff if you're interested, but just to see how these things are similar. No, no, no. Way. I mean, what, what, what I was going to say is, is, is now I'm very curious what people are asking yeah. about for the, uh, the philosophy stuff on Reddit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just going to get you to go on there and uh, start asking, answering questions. I'm sure everyone would love it. Um, yeah. But it's also interesting to what? talk about because for me, yeah. Hitchens was a figure for me when I was growing up and first became interested in philosophy and politics and stuff when I was a kid. But that's because he was when he was one of these four horsemen. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, which. Yeah, I mean, and, and this is something that I've uh, I was actually just talking about because uh, day before Sunday, okay, day before yesterday, I did a um, 
uh, I did a book event for the Hitchens book at this uh, at this uh, worker worker owned bookstore in Baltimore, uh, Red Emma's, and um, and a lot of the discussion at, at that ended up kind of being about um, you know new atheism and you know my take on that, which would roughly you know roughly be that um, I mean I think that the you know, I think that the sort of questions about like atheism and religion and all that, I mean, I, th- I think those are just like subjects of perennial human interest. I mean, anybody who, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think there's ever, you know, I don't think there will ever be people who, uh, who, who are just not at all interested in that. But, uh, I, I think that sort of four horsemen era, uh, was something that was like, I don't know about, you know, relatively historically unique, right? Cause I think that they, yeah. I think that it was a function of kind of the where the American, you know, and British, but mostly American uh, culture war was at the uh, at the time, you know, that that all that, you know, all that happened. In fact, really mostly American, like even though like half those people are British, you know, like it's uh, yeah. you know, most of what they're reacting to is in the U.S. Uh, and um, and because, and you know, in a way that's like slightly hard to to remember now you know the like you know certainly the right wing of american politics was just thoroughly identified with evangelical christianity like kind of on its face in a way that it really isn't now right even though we have a you know even though conservatives in 2022 are kind of pivoting back in a more socially conservative direction and um you know and, and there's plenty of homophobia in the mix and all this stuff it's still um yeah they're, they're not doing six thousand euros yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, like it's, 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 a, it's in a weird way. It's actually, you know, even though there's like, you know, there is still a sense in which evangelicals are kind of the ground troops of a lot of it, but like it, it, in a lot, in a weird way, it, it is much more secularized now. And, um, and certainly those battles that people are having about, you know, things like young earth creationism, uh, have, um, have really faded into, you know, I mean, that into the backdrop, you know, those aren't really on people's minds in the same way. And so I think in a lot of ways, you know, new atheism, uh, which, you know, it's also important to say, okay, what's, you know, <laughs> what's new about it, right? I mean, that's the, uh, it's the, yeah. like, there, there is some implied contrast there to the old atheism, which is the, you know, which is the better kind, right? You know, the, uh, the, um, you know, the, the nice communist kind of atheism. Well, I mean, I, I think it's interesting because I guess the, the new atheist people thought that there needed to be a new atheism because old atheism wasn't kind of speaking to the people. Right. And that's when it's interesting to speak about what you do in comparison to what, you know, when what I, you know, what we should all hope to do is kind yeah. of they transformed atheism from, you know, Bertrand Russell's little Twinkie teapot it's just something that became like uh, massive on the national stage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even, even, right, right, sure. And, you know, even though I personally have much fonder feelings towards uh, Bertrand Russell than, you know, Sam Harris, but sure. I mean, I, I have a, uh, yeah. So, and, and I think that, you know, but I think that, like, it made sense in that time because this is, this is a time when, like, I mean, just as a rough, measure right like okay you know somebody now who's like a militant liberal in the u.s and in 2022 they're like you know really dark suspicions about a conservative or like that they're a racist and a fascist right and uh that 
you know, that might've, that might've been in the mix, but I think in like 2009, that same kind of very militant liberal, really their dark suspicions about a conservative would be that they're a, a theocrat, you know, who, who wants to, um, uh, you know, who wants to, you know, well, in fact, do some things that conservatives have been able to do finally now, but, you know, ban abortion and, you know, that impose uh, socially conservative uh, values and, um, uh, and, you know, probably also teach six day creationism and all of that stuff. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, I think the idea that like religion, you know, kind of per se was the problem, you know, resonated a lot more in yeah. that, uh, in that era, right? I mean, even though, I mean, not that everybody who's involved was a liberal, there were definitely some neocons and there were some, you know, libertarians, of course, but like, um, but I mean, I, th I think just in terms of how it slotted into the general culture war, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of how it made sense at that time. And then to a great extent, you know, the, um, you know, that, that energy got diffused in a lot of different directions once the culture war sort of started to, uh, you know, once, once the culture war started to, to shift and people had different, you know, preoccupations, right? I mean, Sam Harris goes from being a, a, a new atheist four horseman to being a, uh, uh, you know, to being in the intellectual dark web with, with, uh, with Jordan Peterson, who's like a, <laughs> well, I mean, the, the gayest name ever, the intellectual dark web. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, even though like Peterson is like a weirdo religious mystic and, you know, Ben Shapiro is a fundamentalist who thinks there can't be a Palestinian state because God gave the land to the Jewish people. Uh, you know, Harris is still hanging out with them because he's because of his, you know, cultural preoccupations. Right. So uh, and conversely, yeah, I mean, a lot it's, of it's interesting to, to talk yeah. about Turkey for a minute. It, it's yeah, really yeah. to see kind of the, the clash between kind of the Turkish left, which is obviously very big in Turkey, and this becomes like in immigrant communities a large part of, of kind of various far left movements in Europe. But to see kind yeah. of the clash of attitudes, because I remember talking to uh, a friend and being like, I talked to these Turkish communists and they all just really fucking hate Islam. Is that weird? I'm like, no, of course that's not weird. <laughs> like, of course that makes perfect sense that they fucking hate Islam. Of course, uh, right. But obviously now, kind of, for understandable reasons, uh, one reason I think that liberals don't really want to go at Christianity is that there's not really a way to do it without also going at, at kind of Islam, which is, you know, horribly ma maligned in the West. And, you know, if there are reasons to malign it, it's not normally the wrong ones, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, if, if you're, um, I mean, especially... I mean, it's funny actually because I mean, I think now uh, Islam bashing is like relatively low on the list of right wing preoccupations. Yeah, it's definitely gone down quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, these things just cycle in and out. I think. <laughs> no, that's 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 fair, right? And and it's it's weird to think about the fact that like not very many years ago it was it was very high on that. I mean, when Donald Trump was running for president the first time, it was, yeah. it was clearly yeah. extremely high on his list. Uh, but, um, but then I don't know. You know I mean, it, it's still, it's, it's almost impossible for me to get a visa to the U S still because of the Muslim ban. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So that's interesting. How does that, how does that work? Basically the, the remnants of the Muslim ban is that if you've been to one of these bad countries in the past 10 years, you can't get an automatic visa. You have to go through the visa process. 
I see. Okay. Yeah. I, all right. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that, um, but yeah, as you say, these things go in cycles. I'm sure it'll be back. I mean, the, uh, uh, I, I mean, I think a lot of the, um, I mean, in, I mean, in some ways it feels like, um, you know, going after, you know, like, like, okay. So like the, uh, the Texas, uh, Texas GOP has just been having its state convention and they, uh, I, I don't know if they put it back or not, but they, they were just debating putting back a, uh, a, a plank in their platform saying that, uh, that homosexuality was an aberrant lifestyle choice, which they hadn't actually bought. Yeah, I think with. I think I saw this morning that it went through. Okay, yeah, yeah, which they hadn't bothered with having a plank like that in their 2018 or 2020 platforms, but you know now they've yeah. decided that's back in. So I'm sure Muslim bashing uh, is uh, is going to be back, you know. But like, yeah, I mean, certainly if I think back to like I don't know, like 10 years ago. When like there was things, there were things not even ten years ago uh, when there were things going on like the um, like Oklahoma I think did a ballot referendum uh, forbidding the use of uh, Sharia law in uh, in like Oklahoma courts, uh, which I'm sure was a major problem you know before they uh, be- before they they got on that right I mean that uh, yeah I mean, uh, and kind of Islamophobia is kind of probably the the main kind of animus for for racism in Europe. In most of Europe, anyway, like right, Europe right, overall, right. and uh, definitely kind of in, in the UK. I mean, obviously, we really hate the Roma too, but there aren't that many of them. Right. Yeah. I mean, and that's right. something that's definitely alien for Americans. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I mean, honestly, I think there are a lot of kind. I mean. You know, to be fair, I think there are a lot of kinds of of big of bigotry that are big in Europe that are a little alien to Americans. Like, I mean, even even every time I, uh, you know, go to the UK, there's you know, it's like, oh, what's the what's the group of Eastern Europeans that that everybody is like mad at now? Who, yeah, we we still do the whole thing of white ethnics. Yeah, exactly. To to you know to my American ears, it's like, oh, that's just like some other kind of white people. Like, like, how can you have a thing about, you know, how can you have a thing yeah. about them? But somehow they have a thing about them. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, um, you know, I think that's a fair concern. But I also think that like, you know, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense that if you're in Turkey uh, and, you know, political Islam actually is like a, a real, uh, you know, real and pressing reactionary threat, you know, that you, you have different feelings about that. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, but it's, it's also, um, you know, but I also think like there are better and worse ways to, uh, you know, to do, you know, to do secularism. And, and I think that it's, it's a good, uh, you know, I mean, I, th- I think one of the things that, like four horsemen era new atheism really got wrong, you know, is, um, is kind of, um, you know, beyond, you know, beyond sort of, you know, like safeguarding the church state separation line, which I'm all in favor of, you know, like there's this sort of, um, emphasis on, on seeing like, um, you know, religion per se as, as a root of the problem of where people who, you know, use use religion to to rationalize, uh, you know, reactionary political beliefs, and you know, my you know, my problem with that, 
I mean, I think there's, I would have both a problem with that on a sort of more abstract ideological level and also a kind of pragmatic, you know, like strategic problem with it. Uh, and the two kind of connect. I mean, the more abstract ideological problem I'd have with it is it, is it sort of assumes that there is like, um, a lot of this stuff ends up assuming that there's like a real version of, uh, of, yeah. of religious belief, right? You know, that like, that sort of like the, you know, bad fundamentalist Islam or Christianity is real Islam or real Christianity. And, and then like people who draw nice liberal conclusions from it, you know, that's not like the real one. It's like, well, no, I mean, if none of it's the real one, all of it's the real one, what are you talking about? Right. You know, it's like, uh, I mean, it's, it's very interesting in the UK, obviously the UK is listeners may or may not know. And I mean, I, I don't know if you know, but UK is obviously one of the two states in the world where our clerics automatically have seats in parliament. Um, the other being Iran. Um, but the, obviously the Church of England, our kind of church state is incredibly liberal. Um, right. And recently they were one of the major forces in blocking or basically scuppering efforts to deport migrants from here to Rwanda. As in, not Rwandans, they're, they're like trying to deport like Syrians to Rwanda. Yeah. Um, and so now our kind of right wing conservative party, who's meant to be preserving the traditional British constitution, have started to murmur about uh, de-establishing um, the, the Church of England and getting uh, our bishops out of Parliament. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and again, I, I think uh, which, right, I mean, you know, would would be a nice result regardless, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was, um, I always wonder also, like this, there's something just very deeply strange to me about the, uh, the idea. I mean, this is beside the point for we're talking about, but about, but about the idea of being like a devout, enthusiastic member of the church of England, you know, like, it's like, well, you know <laughs> why this was founded, right? I mean, like, what's oh, oh, I mean, it's the same as being like a devotee of the British constitution. It's all, they're all, they're both very ad hoc. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think like, I don't know. I mean, I think like the, the last chapter of Michael Brooks's book uh, against the web, I think is very good on this. I don't think we should be essentialists about, um, you know, I mean, like religions, like cultures in general are, big messy things with lots of different contradictory threads you could pull to draw whatever conclusions you want to pull from them. And it's just kind of, uh, you know, and, and in weird historically contingent ways, people are going to draw different conclusions from it. And, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I am, I, I'm a bunch, you know, I'm a much bigger fan of the, the Christian left than I am of, uh, like atheist libertarians who, you know, are, uh, you know, agree with me about metaphysics, but, you know, devote their lives to trying to achieve the kind of society where people would end up selling their organs for Bitcoin to pay rent. Uh, so I think that, um, you know, like, so that would, you know, and, and then which ties into the, the strategic point, which is that, like, look, if you if you're in a time and a place in a national context where like what religion is inspiring people to do is, to you know, is, is to, uh like try to aggressively use the state to impose reactionary, you know, social values on everybody, then that's one thing. Right. You know, but like if, if, uh, you know, but like lacking that, you know, I think that, um, you know, you're, you're just, 
I mean, I, I think that there is a, this is a subset of a much bigger problem, which is that you're not going to be able to build a majority, uh, you know, majoritarian movement to actually change societies in the way that you want to if, if you don't sort of accept a lot of people into the tent who might have cultural sensibilities yeah. that are wildly, you know, wildly different from yours in all sorts of ways. Right. So uh, that said, though, I, I guess where it does get a little bit complicated for me is I like once I say all that stuff, I still wouldn't draw the conclusion. So therefore, everybody should just shut up about the atheism stuff, because I think that the because um, I think that there probably is some value to um, I mean, one, I just like philosophy. Right, you know, and 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 I, you know, so uh, I I'm gonna talk about it, and you know, and and I've that's something I'm interested in doing, uh, and you know, although in that case I'll sort of awkwardly do this thing where I, you know, uh, you know, sort of say I I, I like, uh, you know, I like Cornell West, I like my progressive Christian wife, you know, that this is this is, uh, you know, uh, but uh, but then I'll go on and have the argument about you know God or whatever, but uh, but then like. To you know, I I also you know I also think there's some value probably like even if you think back to that kind of four horsemen era new atheism that um, look I know plenty of people who were super into who were super into that in 2009 who you know and still have some level of fondness you know for those guys uh, who are very you know like have come out just fine. Right. You know, or like, you know, yeah. birdie voting Jacobin readers. Right. You know, and, uh, um, and, and I do think in some cases, some of those people, it was actually like a really valuable thing for them at that point in their lives. Right. Cause especially if they came, you know, as many of them do, you know, from like evangelical, you know, for, you know, otherwise, uh, have you, have you heard of less wrong? Uh, I have, but I don't know much about it. It's it's kind of a bizarre kind of pseudo cult thing, um, yeah. but despite that, it was for me again something that as a as a young teen, which was formative in ways which now I think are, are positive, only because I didn't get too into it. But yeah, I think there's there's various kind of examples of this. I mean, the unfortunate thing about I mean, f- for me, it's it's important to kind of talk about atheism because in the end, you know, it, it's I think it's right, and I think it's kind of not obviously right, but very much right. Um, And it's kind of the truth is important. But the unfortunate thing about Reddit as philosophy, which represents kind of who's online and who's who's talking, is you never really get the questions from people who are saying, like, atheism is obviously wrong. What are the arguments? What possible arguments could there be for atheism? Rather, it's just people coming and being like, the opposite. They're like, God is obviously false. There's no arguments for it. So why do stupid people still uh, believe in it? And uh, you have to, so I'm always just defending God on this forum. <laughs> I'm never defending atheism really because the, the point is to, to make out kind of the reasonable case of what is there in the literature and not to defend your own point of view. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would, oh. I'd like it. But I actually got to, to say like, you know, this is why we should be metaphysical naturalists. Right. Yeah, no, that's not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, I'm I'm sold. This is this 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 would be fun. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's let's do it on on sublation. We'll uh, we'll we'll do cool. some uh, we'll do some Reddit philosophy questions. So, uh, all right, that sounds fun. Uh, uh, Stefan, thank you, uh, thank you so much for coming. Thanks. All right.
Bye, everyone.